Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. Make it as easy on yourself as you can. If you're using some electronic devices, probably be easier for you to just start in Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 25 beginning in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the NIV all three of these passages of Scripture today. Numbers chapter 25, starting in verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Now jump with me, if you will, all the way back to the back of the book, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Revelation 2 and verse 14, Jesus speaking here to the church in Pergamum. Revelation 2 and 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Now, will you go back just a couple of books to the book of 2 Peter? Chapter 2 and verse 15, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, says this, They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. This morning I want to continue and conclude the series that we began last week destruction and seduction, the battle for your soul. This week is part two, seduction. Would you just stretch your hands this way and pray for me as I do the same for you? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house today. Thank you for the worship that has gone on so far. Thank you, O Lord, for those that are here today. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that you'd open their hearts, their minds, their spirits, that they would be open and receptive to what you would have to them. Let the seed of the Word of God fall onto good ground and produce a hundredfold harvest in Jesus' name. Now, I ask that you'd help me today. Lord, anoint me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Give me the clarity of thought, the clarity of spirit that is absolutely necessary to do what you've called me to do. And God, I just give you praise and honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said amen. As you're seated, turn around to four or five people, give them a fist bump and tell them, I'm glad to see you at church at the 9 a.m. service. for your soul continues. Last week, we looked at the fact that Balaam failed 
to defeat Israel with destruction. When we look back at Numbers chapter 24, verses 10 and 11 says this, Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you here to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them these three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. After it was apparent, if you remember from last week, and I'm not re-preaching last week, it'll be on podcast in a few weeks, and so you can listen to it again. But just very briefly, if you remember last week, King Balak had hired the king of Moab, had hired a man named Balaam to curse Israel. And if you'll remember, I told you Balaam is probably, to me, one of the most confusing figures in the entire Bible. He was almost this prophet type weird mixture of, of something another and and I don't have all the answers for you in him that's going to have to be one you'll have to find somebody smarter than me wait till the, you get to heaven and you can ask the Lord about that one either way King Balak had hired Balaam to put a curse on Israel. And so after it had become apparent that Balaam could not curse Israel, I believe that Scripture then becomes plain that he gave advice on how to destroy Israel, and that was through seduction. That's why we had to jump back to the book of Revelation. When we read through the book of Numbers, we do not find it apparent where that happens. It, it doesn't really give us a description of Balaam advising King Balak on how to do this. However, through the insight and the words of Jesus himself, we read in the book of Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, he says you, there are people there who, have, who hold to the teaching of Balaam who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. We don't find that description in the book of Numbers, but we know that Jesus, who was the Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the beginning was with God, and the Word was God. So obviously, Jesus was there. Jesus was a witness to a conversation that was not recorded for us in the book of Numbers, where apparently after Balak had become so angry with Balaam that he could not curse Israel. Israel, that Balaam then begins to give him some instructions. Obviously, he sees that the cursing's not going to work. If the destruction is not going to work, and so he begins to advise him that he can destroy Israel not through destruction, but through seduction. You see, it's really always been the devil's 
ultimate weapon because it normally isn't the attacks of the enemy that cause people to forsake their faith. You look back throughout the history of the church. You can study throughout the New Testament and go on and study the history of early Christianity. You can study about the early church after the Bible ends and we study history of how the church went home. We find that as the Roman empire turned up the heat against Christians as the Caesars became more and more hateful and more and more destructive toward Christianity, it was almost like throwing gasoline onto an open flame. The church only grew. The church only expanded. The church only moved forward. You look at the early start. You've heard me say this before as well. You study the history of even the church of God and, and Pentecost, how it began in the late 1800s and 1900s again here in America. And you find that even in America, in, in this place where we have always valued our religious freedom, that even here in America, Pentecostal churches in those times were burned down. Preachers were thrown into prison for preaching this Pentecostal message. But what happened? Instead of destroying it, the Pentecostal churches only continued to grow and to grow and to grow and to grow. As I've been pastoring now for, for over 20 years, and I've watched people's lives, can I tell you I've seen amazing, uh, 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 amazing displays of faith. I have seen saints whose bodies have been eaten up with cancer, who instead of cursing God, chose to do as Job and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have watched as saints of God have endured attack after attack, but instead of giving up and giving in, they only held tighter to that old rugged cross. You see, it has not been the case for for those attacks, the destruction that the enemy tries to bring to us. In fact, I would say he really only shoots himself in the foot in those cases because most of the time it only strengthens our faith. However, the enemy is cunning. And it is as James tells us in chapter 1 and verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we find that the most effective tool of the enemy against our souls, it's not destruction. It's not the onslaught. It is something called Seduction. If you're taking notes, the first thing I find in this, we find in verse 1 of our text in Numbers chapter 25, we find that the men began to indulge. While Israel was staying in Shidon, the men began to indulge in sexual, sexual immorality with Moabite women. If you're reading from the King James Version, it says, commit whoredom. It comes from the Hebrew word zonah, which means to commit adultery. 
usually of the female, and less often of the sim of simple fornication, rarely of involuntary ravishment. It figuratively means to commit idolatry, uh, the Jewish people being regarded as the spouse of Jehovah. I want to stop for just a second and, and let you see this. That in this particular text, we see that there was, in fact, sexual immorality going on, but this was not just the case of sexual immorality. There was idolatry going on also. Can I just tell you before anybody starts getting nervous, and sometimes these kind of messages, sometimes people are like, well, bless God, I'm not out there having an affair. I'm not out there doing it. Can I tell you that the enemy will seduce you at the very beginning of this thing? Let me tell you this. The enemy will do more than seduce you with just sexual immorality. He'll seduce you with pride. Oh, it's going to be a quiet one. That's all right. He'll seduce you with pride. He'll seduce you with the thought of thinking that you are, with humanism, of thinking that you are able to make it all on your own and you don't really need anybody else. You see, I know that we like to point our fingers at these big sins, as we call it, but the enemy will seduce you. He'll seduce you with unforgiveness. He'll convince you that you've been done wrong enough, that you deserve you can still be mad at them. You can still hate them. You've got every right to hold hatred in your heart toward them because of how they treated you. The enemy will seduce you, not with just sexual immorality, but he'll seduce you with all kinds of sins. So we ask the question, well, how did, how did this start? Well, obviously, as we've gone back and we've seen the words of Jesus, we know that after the failure of Balaam three times to curse Israel and the conversation between Balak and Balaam, and Balak is like, you failed, and instead you have blessed them. Now, obviously, in the words of Jesus, we find at some point in that conversation, Balaam gives the idea to Balak and says, I've got a plan that will work. And so we find something here in verse 2. Look at verse 2. Who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods? The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. You see, the worship of these false gods even often involved sexual activity. You see, we find that there was sin in a couple of different ways in that, in the fact that these people were not married, husband and wife, and the fact that they were from, un, from other nations, which the Lord had forbid them. This was obviously an intentional act by Balak, the king of Moab, on the advice of Balaam in order to destroy them. And look at this here. So they've gone from this ominous feeling. Last week we preached about seduction or destruction. And we go from this ominous picture of Balak and Balaam as they moved around to three different places overlooking Israel. And we have the picture here of this sorcerer of curse on Israel. And as Israel looked up there, they saw this. They saw this. 
this, these sacrifices going on. They saw that there was someone that was trying to curse them and to destroy them. And, and you know, you kind of just get that, that, that weird, ominous feeling about that. But this week, it begins to shift, doesn't it? It begins to shift from this warlock, witch man, trying to curse them to a sweet, gentle invitation. It turns from this thing that just throws up red flags. It's like, warning, warning, they're trying to, he's up there trying to conjure a spell. He's trying to destroy us to a nice little monogrammed, now this is RDL version here, but a nice little monogrammed calligraphy, whatever you want to call it, paper invitation to say, hey, hey, new neighbors, we'd like to invite you over to our idol worship We'd love for you to come and eat with us and, and have, just join on with our party. And I just remind you, I just remind you that sin, sin always starts that way. The devil is not going to tempt you with, hey, Go ahead and start gambling. He's not going to throw you with, how would you like to lose your job, every bit of your money, your home, your family by gambling away everything? No. It's going to be a sweet temptation. Why don't you just go ahead and place this bet? Just go ahead and spend one day. Look at people or walk around this casino. Look at people winning all kind of money. When you're tempted... When you're tempted to do drugs, you know, the enemy's never going to take you to that meth addict that ain't got a tooth in their head anymore, skin and bones, lost their family, lost their, their spouse, lost their kids on their way to jail. He's never going to take you to that. He's just going to take you to that first little, hey, why don't you just go ahead and try some of this? Hey, look, everybody's having a good time. Enjoy it. Sin, is, sin, temptation is always that way. Can I just tell you, if you want to go sometime and, and go down to McGee and go down to, to, to some of these recovery centers and go into that first step program where they're trying to come off of drugs and they're, they've got fever and they're shaking and, they're, and they're, their body is going through this detox process, that is not the place that the enemy is going to take you to to try to tempt you. You know, I got I to gotta use it because it's in here too. You know that, that affair that the enemy would like to tempt you with, he's not going to show you the, the couple that's, their marriage is destroyed and their kids hate each other and they're trying to live in two separate places. And he's, That's not how the enemy's going to tempt you with that. Y'all following me this morning? I, I know this ain't, this, ain't, this ain't a fun sermon. This is not one of those that I just really, you know, I can't wait to, you know, preach. But, but listen, this is how it works. It was a sweet invitation, a progressive, oh, a progressive lowering 
of standards. Why don't y'all just come on over here with us? Why don't you just come? Just come on. We're new neighbors. Why don't you just come with us to our party? Why don't you just come to, uh, with us to our party? You don't have to worship our idol. Why don't you just come eat with us? Oh, God, this is, this is better preaching than y'all are amening. Why don't you just come on over to our idol party? You just eat a little bit with us. I know you're not supposed to, but just eat with us. You don't even got to bow down and worship Baal. Just, just come and, 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 and worship and just eat a little bit. You know, the devil still works this way. The Bible's very clear in the fact that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but the end thereof is destruction. So we find that it was through this seduction to sin when destruction wouldn't work. When persecution wouldn't work, when cursing wouldn't work, when, when none of that would work, what the enemy resorted to was his number one tactic. Can I lure them in with a sweet invitation and begin to get them to lower their standards little by little by little by little? We find something else if you're taking notes, number two. We find in verse four and five. We find that the sinners had to be killed. Look at verses 4 and 5. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worship of Baal of Peor. Now, this is, of course, an Old Testament principle. And now, under the New Covenant, we're not taking anybody and physically killing anybody. However, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 31 reminds us that we are supposed to crucify the flesh. And that we are supposed to, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily. Can I just remind us today that in order for us not to fall for the seduction of the enemy, that we must make sure that that's, that's the book, that's not my words, that every day that we are saying, Lord, crucify my flesh. Every single day, I need you to help me die daily in my flesh, Lord, because my flesh will fail me. My flesh will come short. My flesh is still my flesh. Listen, folks, when we get saved, God regenerates us. We become born again on that the spirit become, but we are still in the same old body. That's why these bodies still get sick. That's why these bodies still fail. And every day we've got to deal with this flesh. And I'm not just talking about the sexual immorality flesh. Again, the pride flesh that we've got to deal with, the unforgiveness this part of our flesh, the hatred part of our flesh. We have got to daily die to our flesh and get the influences out of our life. There was a reason. There was a reason why 
God told them they could not marry in to these circles outside of Israel because he knew the influence that would be there. Now, I think most of you know me well enough to know that I'm not saying that we've got to lock ourselves into some compound and never know. No, we're the light of the world. We're the city set on a hill. We are in this world. But brothers and sisters, we are not of this world. We are called to be different. We are called to be separate. We are called to be the people that other people can look at and say, look, they live with us. They work with us. They go to school with us. They look like us. But listen. Something is different about They don't do everything that we do. They don't go everywhere we go. They don't participate in everything we do. There is something different about them. Thirdly, finally, we find that Phineas, a man named Phineas, was zealous. Look at verse 6 now. We're going to read through verse 13. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Put your finger right there. That is exactly what you think it is. The whole congregation of Israel was weeping over the sin that was going on. And an Israelite man, as if to spit in the face of Moses and God and everybody else, comes walking through the assembly in broad open daylight with that which was forbidden for them to have on his way into his tent. Now, verse 7. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But those who died in the plague, number 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. This was as bold as you imagine it was in both ways. It was bold in the fact that this Israelite was just boldly prancing it through the middle of, he was not even trying to hide it. We've come to that day, haven't we? Even in the church, you know, there was a day when people tried to kind of sneak around and do the things that they knew they weren't supposed to. But nowadays, people have just come to the fact they just, just, they just boldly prance it right up into the middle of everybody. It was bold in that manner. And it was just as bold and zealous as scriptures say 
for Aaron's grandson as he watched this going on. He picked up his spear and followed them into the tent where they were and drove the spear through the man and through the woman and killed them both. Now let's stop right here because I know this is Old Testament. This will mess somebody up. Let me just tell you that he was in his position as the grandson of the high priest and the fact that God had already said it's time to execute these people. He was legally authorized to perform this execution by God. He was zealous for the Lord. What is it going to take? What is it going to take for us to once again get that kind of zeal? Again, please, I'm not, I'm not advocating physical execution. What is it going to take for us in our own lives once again to become so zealous for the Lord that we just can't even tolerate sin any longer? That the sight of it, that the thought of it brings us to the place that we cannot allow for it to stay around anymore. You see, the Bible tells us very clearly, he saved the nation from a plague. 24,000 people had already died from a plague from the Lord. And God says clearly, it was the zeal of Phineas that turned away my wrath from destroying the whole bunch of you. Can I just tell you this? I believe if we could get some Christians zealous again for the Lord, zealous again to turn people away from sin, how many people could be saved? How many lives could be changed? Listen, God's wrath is coming to all that don't accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. How many that are going to be destroyed by the plague of sin could be saved if God's people would once again get a zeal on the inside of us like God has. That's what God, didn't he compare that? Well, nobody's answering. I'm going to read it in there because I'm going to show you he did say that. He said because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made an atonement for Israel. And verse 11, excuse me, is where I warned it. So for he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them. I know that's a tall order, but here we are. I told you this whole thing. The enemy is out for our soul. The enemy wants to de destruction and seduction. Destruction rarely works, but the seduction is one of the enemy's most effective tools. What if we would become so zealous again for the Lord, for the holiness of the Lord, that we would say, we cannot allow this to live. I cannot allow the flesh to live in my life. 
I cannot allow this old flesh. I've got to do what Paul, again, please do not confuse anything that I'm saying. We do not physically kill ourselves, but we pray that the Lord crucify the flesh, lusts, and desires that want to drive us every day. And we say, Lord, crucify this flesh and give me a zeal for your holiness. Give me a zeal for you. Give me the same zeal that you have. God said it, said he has a zeal like me for the honor of me. Would God give us a zeal? The same zeal God has for God's honor, we need that kind of zeal. We need the same zeal God has for his honor that we have it for him. And I believe that is the way, that is the way that we conquer the biggest weapon of the enemy, seduction. Would you stand with me, please, all over the house today? We preach these kind of messages and I preach it at a 9 a.m. Sunday morning service. Sometimes, sometimes I feel like, well, I mean, if y'all are holy and dedicated enough to get up at 9 o'clock to come to church, you ain't got to worry about that. But unfortunately, it's not the case. We've got to be careful. Scripture says, be careful that you don't fall yourself. Every single one of us has the possibility of, as James says, being drawn away by our own lusts, enticed, seduced by the enemy and the sin. One more time, let me say it. Your sin may not even be a sexual sin. Your sin may be unforgiveness. Your sin may be pride. Your sin may be greed. It's all sin. It's all destructive. So here's what I want this to be this morning. It's not quite time to get out of here because I want us to have a little time in these altars. So what's the answer? Well, I believe in the case of this message, as we find it, Phineas was zealous for the Lord. Here's my prayer for us today, and I'm going to ask you to join me here in these altars in just a few moments to pray, Lord, I want a zeal for you. I want a zeal for your holiness. I want a zeal to bring honor to your name. Can, that, it ties together. Because if we're going to bring holiness and honor, to, uh, if we're going to bring honor to God's name, it's going to mean we as his bride will live in holiness. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to be zealous for the Lord. I want to live a life that is holy. This is not an altar call. Listen, if you're here and you are 
just steeped in sin and living it like, hey, you come too. God will forgive you. This is not just for that. This is for anyone that says, I want the zeal of God to live for him that Satan is not able to use his greatest tool and seduce me into sin. Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.